Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. Before my message today, I want to take this opportunity of thanking our musicians for their performance on Thursday night outside. Um, it was a novel idea to put on a concert to gather people together, to welcome people back, and it had quite a significant impact on the community around. People who are driving by, walking by, cycling by, stopped, listened, participated, and enjoyed a wide variety and host of music. It was a joyful, joyful evening, and uh, I have a feeling, I might be wrong, but I have a feeling that it'll be reprised this time next year as well. It was just that good. And if you weren't afforded the opportunity of being able to hear our wonderful musicians singing outdoors, everything from Toreador to uh, Love to uh, Southern Cross, I mean, they did it all, uh, then uh, I do hope that you will make sure that this time next year you put it on your calendar. Let us pray. Loving God, to you we offer this time. It's a time for your word, a time for your spirit to move your word. And may my heart and my lips speak that which comes from you. And may in the depths of this moment, as we prepare to come to your table, we feel the draw of your spirit through Christ our Lord. Amen. Special events have a way of eliciting a response and a memory unlike normal events. And there's nothing I believe in the Christian calendar that is more special, particularly ecumenically, in terms of the broader church, than Worldwide Communion Sunday, which we celebrate today. And I have thought back, even over my years here, at seminal moments when we have celebrated Worldwide Communion and the impact of them. Many of you will remember the first communion that we celebrated after 9-11 in 2001. The world was still reeling from the disaster in New York and Philadelphia and Washington and elsewhere. Everyone was feeling the pain and the anguish. The churches were full. There was fear in the air. And no one knew how the world would come through this. And yet we gathered here at the beginning of October, not long after the disaster, to take the bread and to take the cup and to remember whose we are and who we are. It was profoundly healing. I reminisce about 2008, a time when there was a financial crisis. People had lost money. A lot of people lost a lot of money. 
There was in the air this fear of potential and imminent breakdowns in the economy. I even had to visit a person involved in the financial world who was thinking of taking his own life as a result of it all. And it was a crisis. And in the midst of it all, we gathered, we took bread, we took wine with the rest of the world, and we remembered whose we are and who we are. And then last fall, when our hopes were raised, the worldwide communion in 2020 would be a year when we would finally be able to get back to celebrating communion. And we couldn't, and we didn't, and we were heartbroken. We still knew whose we were, and we still knew who we were, but we were missing something. And so here we are today, in this wonderful place, being able to celebrate it again. It reminds us whose we are and who we are. It's a time for us maybe to renew our commitment to the sacrament and precisely why it is important for us. And the reason that we need to do that is because maybe for some of us it has been a long memory since we last gathered around the table. For some of you it might even be the first time in your life that you have celebrated communion. So why do we do this? Why is it significant? Why does the church throughout the world set this day aside for remembrance and for communion? Well, there's always been some degree of confusion about communion in the minds of Christians, even the earliest believers. I think it is fair enough to say that many of the very earliest believers who were following the traditions of the Gospels, the stories and the life of Jesus, found their certain anomalies and couldn't quite put it all together. There were differences in the Gospels where the location of the first Lord's Supper was served. There was a difference in the language that was used, difference in the timing even of it. And yet there were commonalities in all of the Gospels. The commonalities was that Jesus, in taking those disciples for the first gathering in the upper room, was for the purpose of letting them know who he was and who they were. There was an urgency. And there was an urgency because Jesus also knew that he was about to betrayed, be betrayed, and not only that he would be betrayed, but that he would suffer on the cross. He knew the cross was coming. There was an urgency to have this meal. And most especially, it was his last Passover meal with his disciples. It was an intimate moment to celebrate one of the singular moments of importance in the life of the people of Israel and God's covenant community. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus takes bread and breaks it. He takes a cup and he shares it. 
But it's only really when we come to our text today that Laurie read from 1 Corinthians, where things are put together in a way that we can use even liturgically. The Apostle Paul brilliantly explains what Jesus had been saying all along and defines for us the nature of the Lord's Supper. And he did so in a period, in a time of great confusion. There was chaos in the way that early Christians were celebrating communion. Some were taking it and only eating them itself, making it part of a feast, even a feast for idols. And it was all syncretistic and getting confused. Some people were treating the meal as an excuse for gluttony. Others were deciding they were going to eat from the food of idols at the same time as they celebrated the sacrament of Holy Communion. There was disunity within the body. There was dissension and disagreement. And the Apostle Paul then stresses the need for unity. He stresses the need to understand the very nature of what communion really is and how Christians are to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that's why our text is important. It's important because it gives us, in a sense, a structure and wording that enable us to understand this sacrament fully. And the more I look at it, the more I realize that Paul is really stressing the importance of connections when he's talking about the Lord's Supper. The connection between the God of Israel and the person of Jesus. And between the person of Jesus and his followers. And the relationship between his followers and each other and the world. And if we grasp these connections, we have grasped the essence of why we come to the table of the Lord and why here at Timothy we have waited for this day. The first connection is the relationship between the God of Israel and Jesus. It is no coincidence, none whatsoever, that Jesus, when he sat down and he took the bread and he took the wine, did it at the Passover festival. Not only were people there in Jerusalem from all over the world, Jews coming to gather and to celebrate, but they were there also to remember the power of God's salvation and the promise of his covenant with Israel. You see, the Passover is inextricably linked to the notion of the freedom and salvation of the people from their tyranny under the Egyptians. The God liberated and set Israel free. And the Bible is full of references after the great exodus of the people of Israel remembering that event. And they remember two things about that event and that salvation that they were given. The first is that they were to celebrate a feast of unleavened bread. We find this in the book of Exodus in chapter 12. And I want to read just two or three verses for you. This is what Exodus says. Celebrate 
the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I, the Lord, brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you're to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. For eating nothing made, eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Now, do you know the reason why it's unleavened? Because the people of Israel were in a hurry to get out of the grip of the Egyptians and to be led by God away from the tyranny. They couldn't wait for the yeast to make the bread rise. That's why it's unleavened. And you might complain about your wafer this morning and say, you know, it's a little chintzy and thin and dry. You know, it's chintzy and little and dry because it's unleavened. And that is why we link ourselves all the way back to the book of Exodus. The lamb and the blood, of course, goes back to the markings of the doors and those that belonged to the covenant of Israel when the plagues came and when the tyranny came, they had blood on their doors, the blood of a sacrificial lamb. And that protected them from the onslaught that was to come. And so the unleavened bread and the sacrificial gift of the blood as a sign, as a symbol of God's redemption, of him passing over, the sins of the people, was there in the Old Testament. Even the great Gamaliel, in the Mishnah says, with a celebration of the unleavened bread, is a celebration to remember the forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus is there with his disciples, all of whom were Jewish, all belonged to the covenant of Israel, says to them, this is in the new covenant of my blood. When he says new covenant, he is telling them that what he is doing and his offering of himself is exactly God's offering of the unleavened bread and of the blood that spared the people. It must have hit those disciples heart and when we say it in a few minutes we are reciting the words of Paul to the earliest Christian community reminding them of that fact but it's also a connection between Jesus Jesus and and ourselves Jesus said I want you to do this in remembrance of me that the taking of the cup and the taking of the unleavened bread is a sign of Jesus' presence with us. It is a memorial, but it's more than a memorial. 
because he says, this is my body broken for you, according to our text from Corinthians. This is more than just a memorial, but it is a memorial. And there's nothing wrong with remembering the past. I often hear, and it, it's a strange thing, but I don't know, people put down seniors a lot, way too much. If, if ever there's a real problem in our society, trust me, I think a lot of it's ageism, to be honest with you, and it hardly gets a reference these days. But, um, you know, people say of seniors that they like to live in the past, and when you visit them, they'll tell you stories of the past, as if somehow they're entrapped with the past. I've never shared that opinion. In fact, I've shared the actual contrary opinion. I think that recollections of the past reform and reshape us in the present. I think remembering actually helps us know whose we are and who we are. It unites us in a common memory. And I think that when we have celebrations, like Worldwide Communion Sunday, they are like a reforming of our memory. They are a reshaping of ourselves. And when you think about it, I mean, we do this all the time with other things, don't we? I mean, Thanksgiving Sunday, for example, next Sunday, is this not a, a continued reminder of the wonder of, of the universe and, and the splendor of our country and our nation and the bountiful nature of God as creator that we should be thankful for? It brings us together to celebrate, to remember, and it shapes us as a people. It shapes us. Likewise, Remembrance Day is a moment when we remember that we have been formed, that we have been shaped by the sacrifice of others in order that we do not repeat the errors of the past. It shapes us, and it's why it's a very important place in the life of Timothy Memorial Church. I think September the 30th, and the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation over time will shape us and form us and reform us and get us to focus on the errors of the past but also on the need for reconciliation in the present. We need moments where we do not forget and where we remember where we've come from and even if it's been difficult times to remember it. Likewise, when you come today and you take the cup and you take the wine, you are remembering Jesus Christ. The sacrament forms us and reforms us and makes us into his people. It's also, though, kind of an eternal thing. Paul knew and understood that the taking of the bread and the wine was going to shape the Christian community. He knew that it was also going to get them to have a sense of the eternal significance of remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And I've thought about that because I had an iconic moment a couple of years ago and actually, I was walking along 
an old street in Oxford, England, called St. Giles, a very famous street. And there's a very famous old church, St. Giles, and there's a very famous but small cemetery nearby. And as I was walking by this historic place that had celebrated the gospel for hundreds of years, that church had been around hundreds of years, and I thought how significant it is in forming and shaping so many lives. And as I walked past the cemetery, there was a young couple and a child having a picnic in the middle of it. A picnic. And they had a nice red and white, I remember it like yesterday, they had a red and white checked blanket on the ground. And I think they had, it could have been an old beaten up Fortnum and Mason basket. And I was really quite taken by it. Somebody who was next to me as I was walking along this narrow path said, isn't that the most disgusting thing that you've ever seen in your life? People having a picnic in a cemetery. I said, no, actually, I, I thought it was rather nice, um, personally. Um, you sit there amongst people who have often been long forgotten. You read the headstones. You remember their lives. You get on with your life. You celebrate life, and you remember death. Often people bring flowers. Often people bring teddy bears. Why not sit and have a meal in the presence of death? And as I had finished saying this to this person, nicely, by the way, very, very gentle, I thought, my gosh, that's what we do at communion. That's exactly what we do. It's a memorial meal, just like the Passover was a memorial meal. It is celebrating the past. It is remembering the past. But it's remembering God's activity in the past. It is remembering what the Lord has done. That's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And when we do that, the shadow of his cross and his resurrection hovers over us. This is also a bond, though, between us and each other. Unlike anything else we do, unlike anything else, communion draws us together. We eat and drink this as one people. For Paul, the importance of the Lord's Supper as a unifying act in the life of the church was of inestimable value. He knew that the various pagan traditions, he knew that the different ways in which it was celebrated in different places had to come to an end. There had to be something from Jesus himself. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He wanted to stress the importance of it. Oh, and whether people ate food to idols, well, they ate food to idols. I mean, idols don't really exist anyway, really, only in the minds of the idolaters, according to Paul. Good argument. But do that. That's fine. If you're going to be gluttonous, be gluttonous somewhere else. Do your gluttony in another place. <laughs> but not at the Lord's table, you don't.
the Lord's table, it's about Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul did not want that table to exclude people. He didn't want to prevent them from coming to it. He wanted, in a sense, the doors of the early Christian church metaphorically to be open. But to be open to the very person who invites us to it. To be open to Jesus Christ himself. But he also said something lasting and significant. He said, and we proclaim Christ until he comes. That this meal is in many ways a foretaste of a heavenly meal. It's a foretaste of things to come. It's not just about the past. It's not just about the present. It's about the future as well. A future which is in the hands of the Lord. Until we wait. Until he comes again. And so I urge you. I implore you. To think deeply and examine your hearts as you come to the table today. What we're doing stands the test of a tradition going back to the Exodus. What we do goes back to an upper room. What we do goes back to the very earliest Christian community. And what it does is bond us together as one people, one family, one faith, and one Lord. So come to the table today and enjoy the presence of Jesus Christ. Do this in remembrance of me.